Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm Chad Norman, Internet Marketing Manager here at BlackBot and your host for this nonprofit technology podcast. This is episode 11 for July 10th, 2008. It's been kind of a light week. Everyone was on vacation and blowing things up for the July 4th holiday. So we have a small set of stories here and kind of a big panel. So we'll see how it goes. To introduce things, I've got uh, our old friend Steve McLaughlin here, Director of Internet Solutions. Hey, Chad. You can find Steve at blackbot.com slash connections. We also have with us Melanie Malonis, Manager of Public Relations. Hi, Melanie. Hey, Chad. You can find her at blackbot.com slash blackbotnews or twitter.com slash melmilo. And Jamie Holiday is back after her first stint on the show two weeks ago. She's our internal communications coordinator and SharePoint guru here at BlackBot. Hey, Chad. You can find her at twitter.com slash girl. We have Chris Harris, who is BlackBot's email service specialist, joining us from BlackBot Interactive. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, Chad. All right, so to get things going, I thought we'd talk about the target index of national fundraising findings for Q1 2008. Last week, we talked a little bit about the Giving USA data, and so this data came out this week. Similar subject, similar results. Uh, we noticed that donor numbers had fallen 4% from the first quarter of 2007. The index hasn't seen positive growth since the fall of 2005. The, that was Katrina, right? Mm-hmm. For the first time in two and a half years, overall revenue has declined as well, and uh, revenue per donor has been steadily increasing. So we covered the Giving USA data, like I said. Steve, what did we learn from the national index that we didn't learn from the Giving USA data? Well, a couple different pieces of information. One thing to point out is the um, index of national fundraising performance that uh, Target Analytics does is 72 organizations, about 36 million donors are accounted for from those 72 orgs and about 66 million gifts. So it's looking at some very specific, large, nonprofit organizations where you have a tremendous amount of donors and gifts to look at the the sample size. So where the data comes from and the amount of data is one thing, but also keep in mind, we're looking at the quarterly report, which would be for the first quarter of 2008, whereas I think the Giving USA report is looking at across all the the information from all of 2007. This is actually something that the target folks do quarterly, and you know we continue to look at trends. And at the end of you know Q Q2 in a, in a couple of months here, we'll have that data to look at as well. So it's, it sort of lets you look at data throughout the year, which is really really important, as opposed to just the end of the year when it's a little bit maybe too late or too early to, to make predictions on things. Right. The trend does seem to be the same, though, that all the dials seem to be going down. Well, most of them. I mean, uh, I did say that revenue per donor is up while total donors are down. So how much should nonprofits be focused on engagement and cultivation versus acquisition? Well, I think it's still really important. I mean, the troubling statistic in the index is for the first time you had revenue decline in the in the study. So up until now, you saw decline in donors, uh, decline in donor retention, and that was okay because revenues were still growing. Essentially, what you had is a, a situation where fewer donors were giving more dollars, and that's f- a trend that's sort of finally reversed itself, where the decline in donors is not able to um, you know sort of be stemmed by an increase in revenue. So revenues are down, donors are down, not not a good thing. Do we think that's kind of inevitable, though? Because as your donor pool shrinks, inevitably you're going to have to give more and more money, and at some point they're not going to be able to give any more money. So, Well, one thing the index did note was that fundraisers are shifting their focus towards the higher dollar donors. So maybe they need to take a step back and, like Chad said, readjust the strategy to re-engage and get those younger donors. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, uh, getting more out of what you have is definitely going to be an important thing going forward. I mean, I mentioned, so if... If new donors are down, how are, how are they going to fix that? How are we going to reverse that trend? How are you going to get more donors? 
Well, one thing is, if, if you look at the, the organizations that are, are in the index, um, there's a heavy focus on direct mail and direct marketing as the channels that they use to acquire and retain donors. So certainly there are some things by supplementing that with other channels online, obviously being being one to do that as well. But ultimately, this is about being able to retain those donors and how do you cultivate those relationships. And I think we always go back to the mantra of you've got to make those interactions more personal, more meaningful, more relevant. You can't just send millions of direct mail pieces out the door and and hope that the trend continues. And you've also got to try and attract new donors from maybe some different demographic or sociographic areas um, to, to come to your cause. I mean, there is one sort of silver lining. I mean, not all of the nonprofits in the index were impacted equally. So if you look at the animal welfare organizations and the environmental sectors, they actually had the best performance of the other groups versus societal benefit, which is sort of cause-based organizations, and human services. They were either underperforming or relatively flat. And then it would, international relief saw the biggest decrease in new donor acquisition, which is what you would expect, right? They're coming off of the post-tsunami Katrina disaster, you know, levels where maybe it's going back to more of a normal level for those kinds of organizations. That might be interesting to look at next quarter since in the meantime we've had floods and earthquakes. Good point. Of course, now people people do have less and less money. So. Yeah. Well, if that's an interesting re- reason why international is pulled back as well, it's sort of like uh, sort of keeping it here versus uh, you know, looking abroad. All right. So if we're going to be talking about uh, you know getting new donors, certainly you said uh, sending out millions and millions of uh, direct mail. Um, what about uh, sending around millions of emails? Can spam rules were updated on July seventh. It was a clarification in the can spam rules that went into effect. All email senders are encouraged to adhere to the new rules to prevent legal entanglements. Even though emails sent to nonprofits may not fall under the CAN-SPAN jurisdiction, it's important to ensure good deliverability. I noticed there are four main points. One really caught my eye. The opt-out process cannot be complicated. Not that it ever was. I'm sure you all haven't dealt with that. So now it has to be a single click, no login, no fee, no need to provide info type of interaction. This has been a best practice for years, and now it's the law, which is nice. Chris, is this the biggest change in the group, and how important is it that nonprofits adopt? Yeah, that's actually going to be the biggest change. Um, that's going to affect all of the nonprofits. The liability issue, designated sender issue, um, where you're doing joint marketing, and the postal address, those are, really aren't going to be as big of issues for a lot of our clients. The opt-out, though, is going to affect some of them. Um, we've really got two main classes of clients that are really involved here that have our you know, web-facing products, Net Solutions, and Net Community. The Net Solutions clients are not affected by this. The way that Net Solutions is set up, the opt-out mechanism is already very straightforward. There's no possibility of hiding it behind a login. We do, however, have close to 50% of our Net, our net Community clients that I've seen do have their opt-out page sitting behind a login. Those clients are going to need to move that, the email preferences, opt-out page, whatever you want to call it, out from behind the login so that people can opt out without any friction there. Now, technically, these laws, or the change in this law, doesn't apply directly to a lot of our clients who are not sending commercial-type email. If all they're sending is newsletters, um, you know, donor acknowledgments, etc., they're technically not in violation of the CAN-SPAM laws. However, as a email best practice, it is a good idea to follow those laws. And we have had clients who generally they send out 
non-commercial mail, and then all of a sudden, you know, they'll have a something that comes up where they want to send out a commercial piece, and it may be something around the holidays. Hey, you know, log in and purchase such and such mm-hmm. from our website, and now all of a sudden, you know, they have to be can spam compliant. It's better not to deal with that, you know, in the midst of the holiday rush and everything else. Get yourself compliant now, and not worry about it later on. Why are nonprofits outside of these rules? Generally, I mean, is it sort of the same reason why we get phone calls at home? Yeah, generally speaking, nonprofits do not have to adhere to this because of the non-commercial nature of their email. Essentially, they're not trying to sell you anything in a lot of cases. Right. It's, you know, there's gray areas where you have nonprofits that, you know, essentially generate some of their funding by selling products that are created or manufactured or developed by the nonprofit. So legally, they may not be, you know, sort of required to do so, but isn't the reality with with all the, you know, ISPs and and groups that you deal with on a day in, day out basis, you need to you need to follow the rules because, you know, when Hotmail or Gmail or Yahoo or whoever is getting millions of emails coming in, they're not cert- sitting around picking out, oh, that's from a nonprofit. Right. We're gonna apply different right, right. scoring or standards or other things to it. To them, email is email, you know, we don't care who it's coming from. So you, you really do need to comply with these and, and keep up to date with, with changes in the industry, right? Yeah, absolutely. Steve's right. You know, following these changes and, you know, following not just these, but all of the email marketing best practices, especially around opt-out and opt-in practices, is very important for all of our clients. Because like Steve said, the ISPs don't care whether it's a nonprofit or a for-profit that's sending the mail. If it looks like spam, they're going to treat it like spam and they're going to block it. Right. I actually got a question in from Twitter about this subject. It comes from Casey Markham. What is the most common mistake orgs make that violate CAN-SPAM, and what is the maximum penalty for the violation? So to start off with, the maximum penalty for the violation is $11,000 per incident. So if you send 1,000 emails, do the math, it's going to cost you a lot of money. Right. Now, in terms of nonprofit orgs, the most common violation it's probably going to be something like not including an opt-out link or not including a link to the privacy policy. Those types of violations are fairly simple things to overlook. So like with Net Community, for example, you can't send an email from the system unless it has both a opt-out link and a privacy link on every email that you've created. So the system enforces right. some of those rules. Right. But there's other things, and I know they've gotten a little bit more stringent on the address Requirements. And we've always told clients as best practice, make sure your physical address right. is noted usually in the footer of the email because not only is it good best practice, but people get the email and may want to phone you, may need to, you know, send in a letter, whatever it happens to be. It also adds a lot of legitimacy. You know, if Absolutely. you're spamming people, you're not going to put a, you're not going to put 123 Sesame Street. You're going to put, you know, whatever else. So having the address there is, is good as well. Right. It does add a, you know, kind of an air of legitimacy to the mail. At the same time, again, that's one of the CAN-SPAM requirements, so following it now means that you don't have to you know, deal with the consequences if you do end up sending a commercial mail at some point in the future. Yeah. If you just have that address as part of your, all your templates, then you're good to go. Yeah, some of that's just the basics with email, and then you go from there into just... We see so much issues with with customers who start working with us around previous problems they've had with list hygiene, right? That you know, If you don't maintain the lists or keep up with opt-outs or bounces and that kind of stuff. I mean, you've got to manage it. I think 
people are so used to thinking the email is free until they realize how much it can really cost them if they're not being careful. I mean, you wouldn't do this stuff with direct mail. You wouldn't, you know, you'd you'd keep that list up to date, and you would you'd handle, you know, things that got sent back to your return, you know, return mail or stuff that was sent to you by address validation or whatever happens to be from the from the postal service. With email, you need to do the same kinds of things. Right. Yeah. The biggest problem it seems that a lot of people have in that respect is it's too easy to send out thousands or hundreds of thousands of emails, and you know, like you said, it essentially costs them next to nothing to do that. But the cost at the end of the day is a loss of, you know, the reputation if they're sending out email that, you know, where they don't put a lot of thought into it, where it's not relevant to um, the recipient. Um, then it looks like they just don't care and they're not connected to um, to the people that they're trying to reach out to. And that can contribute to the loss in donors that we saw previously. You know, if those people don't feel like the organization understands them and is connecting with them, you know, they're likely to go find somebody else or they may just stop donating altogether. It's definitely a uh, source of frustration. I mean, we've all been on the other end of that where you can't stop getting email from an organization. Right. I noticed as part of the CAN-SPAM rules change that now you can have a P.O. box for your address. When yes. you were talking about addresses before, is that going to be a big difference for nonprofits? Is that going to be something convenient for them? I really don't know what the impact's going to be for a lot of our clients. I haven't talked to any of them who've had a concern about putting a physical, you know, postal address. And the only caveat with the P.O. box is it has to be one that's essentially registered with the Postal Service or a like service. Yeah, again, just keeps going. it's got to be a valid address. I mean, right. those kinds of things have yeah, to be Yeah, they there. just want to make sure that if somebody needs to reach you, you know, there's a mechanism in place where they can actually reach the entity that sent out a piece of email. So Cool. Okay, moving on, I wanted to quickly plug the We Are Media project, which is at wearemedia.org. It's a community of people from nonprofits who are interested in learning and teaching about how social media strategies and tools can enable nonprofit organizations to create, compile, and distribute their stories and change the world. This is an N10 project um, and, uh, in association with Beth Cantor. She has one of the best titles I've ever seen for this project. It's Project Consultant and We Are Media Community Evangelist and Network Weaver. Um, to fit on a card, or a how do they card. do that? Yeah, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I like it though. It's very um, long. The idea is pretty cool. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's for all intents and purposes a wiki, and it's uh, licensed under Creative Commons, which under the by license, which is the most lenient. Um, so the idea here is to create a one stop shop where um, nonprofits can learn about social media, and it's curriculum based, which is really cool. So you can really go through these tracks and actually figure out and develop a strategy for your organization. So they're just getting started. They're doing it in modules. So they're doing um, they've done module one. They're moving on to module two. And uh, there's lots of ways to participate for people out there, advisory groups, swarms, tagging, slide sharing. Have you guys checked out the site? It looks like something I'm going to want to go back to and check up on. And there looks like a couple of good Twitter feeds I might be adding in the near future, too. Yeah, it's definitely a good conglomeration of a lot of the people that I've seen through N10 um, out there, like Sue Klein. So there's going to be some good information. It'll be nice to see, too, like the types of people who go on there to add information and what they have to bring to it, just different voices from throughout the industry. Do you think something like this is really needed for nonprofits, sort of a one-stop shop? I mean, we sort of talk a lot about social media, but do you still think a lot of orgs are struggling trying to develop a strategy? Well, I think a lot of nonprofits know what they want to do in the end result. They just don't know how to get there. So, um, you know, at several events, we've even had the Internet Symposium, the, all the buzz is around. So how do we get this going? So I think this is going to be a great resource for those folks and to help them convince their board of directors and executive director this is actually a valid uh, emerging if not 
beyond emerging trend that needs to have some serious attention. Well, and who knows, this might be the answer to the question we raised earlier of how do you get more donors to make up for the ones that are leaving? Maybe this is going to be the way they do it. Good point. All right, Melanie, um, what's been going on here at BlackBod for the last couple of weeks? Well, are you ready for some new acronyms? Ooh, always. <laughs> we recently announced that BlackBot has joined the Payment Card Industry, or PCI, Security Standards Council, as a new participating organization. And as a, a member, the company will work with the council to evolve the PCI Data Security Standard, or DSS, and other payment card data protect protection standards. The PCI DSS is endorsed by all the major credit card companies and affects every nonprofit that is going to be doing any type of transactions with credit cards. So virtually every nonprofit um, that's in the fundraising arena, if not um, point of sale also. And so um, it's basically a best practice for uh, information security controls and processes to ensure data integrity. So in addition to participating in the council, BlackBot is launching an awareness campaign in an effort to educate nonprofit organizations on the latest requirements. As part of this, we launched a blog at blackbot.com slash PCI. People can go for updates. Also recently announced was the release of eTapestry Espanol, a Spanish-language version of eTapestry's on-demand fundraising software. And in cooperation with BlackBot, eTapestry unveiled the software to a group of nonprofits in Mexico City earlier this year. And the overwhelming response resulted in the recent formation of a pilot program. So once this pilot program is completed in Mexico City, the company plans to expand to other countries, including Argentina, Chile, and Spain. In other news, on Wednesday, we were pleased to announce that we completed the acquisition of Kintera, the leading and pioneering provider of software-as-a-service solutions to the nonprofit and government sectors. Some highlights from the press release are as follows. Kintera will operate as a wholly-owned subsidiary of BlackBot, retaining its operations in San Diego and Denver under its current CEO, Richard LaBarbera. BlackBot will support all of Kintera's current offerings and will provide a roadmap regarding the integration of Kintera products in the near future. More than 4,500 nonprofits use BlackBot and Kintera's internet solutions. Steve, I know you're very excited about the news and are al already working full speed ahead on the roadmap. What do the next 90 days look like for you? Uh, be a pretty busy next 90 days, but but obviously very excited now that the um, the acquisition is closed. You know, for the past month or so, we've um, sort of by government regulation been sort of forbidden or forboten from doing anything. Um, really having to act as, as though we are still two separate companies. So now we finally do get an opportunity to move forward on on some key parts. I know that we've had a lot of questions from the blogosphere, you know, clients, people in the industry that have a lot of questions. And there are a couple of things that we can certainly say here at the outset, not the acquisition is complete and maybe put to rest some of the conspiracy theories out there. And sort of four questions um, that we've heard over and over. The first is, do we plan to keep Kintera's Sphere um, content management system? And the answer is yes, we can. We plan to keep that application. In fact, we, we plan to keep all of the Kintera applications, which would also include Fundware and PIN uh, and some other things. Another question that um, was asked pretty common was, um, do we plan to keep Kintera's um, Connect API initiative? Um, and again, we do plan to keep that initiative. That's actually been very successful for the folks at Kintera. We think there are certainly some lessons that BlackBod can learn around the nature of how they develop that partner program and getting external parties and clients to develop new features and functionality for their online solutions. We think it's a really good fit with some of the things we've been doing with the Net Community API. So we're, 
really excited about that part, and, and definitely that's something we plan to continue. Another common question that we get from our Razor's Edge customers are, do we plan to integrate Sphere to the Razor's Edge? And again, the answer to that is yes. That's actually one of the top items that we'll start working on here very quickly is developing and releasing an integrated solution from Sphere to Razor's Edge that's the best available in the industry. And that is something that... um, you know, we plan to have, you know, a release on before the end of the calendar year. So that's something that's very important to us and something we heard a lot of from our existing um, Razor's Edge customers. And then the fourth question we got asked a lot is, well, what about Blackbaud Net Community? Are you keeping that? Are you supporting it? And yes, absolutely. You know, Net Community has been a very successful product for Blackbaud, you know, well over 600 customers now, which is pretty impressive considering it was first released in June of, of 2004. So we just passed the four-year-old uh, birthday mark. So uh, when you when you kind of look at how the adoption of that product's gone, you know, since NetCommunity has been available, it's been you know it's been purchased by more Razor's Edge customers than really any solution that's been available out there in the market. And I think that's something that sometimes gets uh, overlooked in the press and, and some other places. So definitely continuing with NetCommunity, you know, moving forward as well. So and I'm sure there'll be other questions that come up and other conspiracy theories and. Uh, and things like that that we'll try and answer and, and talk about and blog about in the future. Nice. What's the vibe like upstairs with like the developers? I'm always curious about that. Are they sort of excited to get working with people in San Diego? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the really great things about this is, you know, Blackbaud now has over 4,500 nonprofit organizations using one of our internet solutions. And I think that's important because different organizations have different online needs. Not everyone needs a complete online content management system with all the bells and whistles. We have some orgs who say, I just need online giving. I just need email. And so, you know, having a a robust sort of spectrum of products and solutions to offer we think is, is important. And also all the information that we learn you know, from those organizations and the combined R&D capabilities and consulting and other kinds of things we think is is really is really important. And I think people are excited about, you know, um, working together and uh, and doing those things moving forward. Is that all we got? Yep. Um, did you guys see there's an interesting article this week about nonprofits who are getting a lot more involved with voter registration for the upcoming presidential election? And it was just interesting because last time we were talking about how the elections are affecting Nonprofits, and this was kind of let's get people motiv- motivated and mobilized and involved with the election, and maybe they'll continue to be involved, not only politically but with the organizations they care about in the future. So there's all sorts of orgs that are getting together to try to register people to vote. Interesting. It's yeah. an interesting uh, new take on acquisition. Yeah, I mean it's like healthcare orgs as well as political oh. orgs, all sorts of people, anybody who you know, environmental, anybody where, you know, policy can affect them, right. they want to get voters who are interested in those issues. What if there's nonprofits that are getting people to go to Apple stores to buy the new iPhone as a way to recruit them, too? <laughs> I have heard that there are some environmental orgs that have been camped out since July 4th. To get Outside. the iPhone? To get the exposure. Is that it? Is that all we have? All right, well, if we have nothing else, then we'll go ahead and close up shop for the day. That does it for this episode of the podcast. I'd like to thank our guests, Melanie Malonis, Steve McLaughlin, Jamie Holliday, and Chris Harris. If any of you listeners have any feedback for us, please send us an email at thebodcast at blackbot.com. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. So until then, I'm Chad Norman, and thanks for listening to the podcast. <laughs>